It's, it's, it's time to talk that talk, and we talk it like no one else. This is the stinking truth. Now, here's your host, Mark Schlereth. Hey, welcome into the Sink Truth Podcast. Mark Schler alongside my partner, Mike Evans. And uh, ah, week five, well, it's almost in the books. We got a Monday night matchup tonight, but almost in the books, Mike. Um, we will d- address this later. Uh, in the Moneymaker picks, um, you went total wussy and uh, copied opposite of my picks like I did to you. Uh, you went three and zero, and I went zero and three. So uh, you're making a comeback. Comeback has begun. It's twenty eight to three, and Brady's got the ball. <laughs> Is that right? Is that right? All right. Well, we'll see. Sorry what to it. all the Falcon fans yeah. out there. We'll, we'll see. Too we'll, soon. Yeah. Too soon. We'll, we'll see what happens. But I took one on the chin a little bit, and uh, well, you were as talking. I always say, I'm a gracious loser, but I'm a dick when it comes to winning, and uh, I took it on the chin. So I will just lose graciously this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. You were talking a lot of junk I, last I really week, was. so I'm sure really America's happy to see you uh, get I your comeuppance. I don't know that America's happy, but it, you know, eight, three, and one. Sounds a lot better than eight six and one. <laughs> I didn't know if you knew that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what sounds really good? What? Five and zero. Oh, the Forty ers Oh my gosh! Wow. We yeah. talked last week about the idea that this was going to be a real litmus test game for um, for the Cowboys, mm. who've been knocked out by San Francisco the last couple of years. Well, yeah. this goes to show that uh, Dallas just isn't on the same level. Yeah, some things never change, right? And I think with with San Francisco, I think there's so many things that you look at with the 49ers when you watch them on tape and you say, man, that's really, wow, that's even, wow, wow, that's really good. You know, and I think number one in this league, we make so much of receivers, right? And we make so much of throwing the ball and we make so much of, um, of things that, that almost are bent toward fantasy football. And when you talk about 49ers football, you're talking about capturing and dominating the line of scrimmage. But not only doing that from a physical standpoint, but also schematically. And I think that's what sets them apart. Finding ways to get their players in wide open spaces so that they have an opportunity to carry the ball or to catch the ball, turn, and now I've got enough space to where I'm not catching the ball in a tight window and bam, getting tackled. I'm catching it in wide open areas, and now I'm turning and using my skills as a runner. Like when you talk about um, um, Debo Samuel, when he's in open field, man, he is a absolute pain in the ass to try to bring down. George Kittle, you know, Kyle Juszczyk, you get McCaffrey out in space, even uh, Brandon Ayuk out in space. They have that schematic standpoint where they get you in wide open spaces, and they have that physical standpoint where they just dominate lines of scrimmage both offensively and defensively and like I said a lot of that is through schematics um, and then having the right players right the right players smart players to execute that stuff they're just on a different page right now than the Dallas Cowboys are and it and it showed on Sunday night I can imagine plenty of fans of other teams tuning in and coming away with a big old case of 49er envy just the way that, because you know, you you talk about Brock Purdy, great story and everything. This is a guy who he's not physically imposing. You, you question whether or not he can even break a pane of glass from twenty yards away. It's not like he's got a hose for an arm. But yeah. so, what makes him so successful? Yeah, I think it's it right here. What does that mean? That's your feet. Oh. 
like, like one of the things, this is really cool. I think it's cool. You might not think it's cool. And if you don't think it's cool, you're a fool. Um, <laughs> but I think this is really, I think this is really cool. Like I talk to young players about this all the time, play offensive line. I said, for me, everything I did started with your feet. Daryl Green used to say it all the time. Hands are good, but feet are better. You got to have great feet. Your whole game, the NFL, football, any sport, is play with your feet and your hands. If you got great hands and great feet, you can play. And so I always talk about what does the symphony of your feet sound like? What do the perfect steps sound like? And, you know, when, when I played, I always had this thought in my head, Mike, about how my feet were supposed to sound on 19 handoff, 18 handoff, 18 handoff force, 19 handoff force, 14, 15, power. What do they sound like? And so for takeoffs, it's da-da! That's what I want my feet to sound like that. And I could hear it in my head what they should sound like, right? And I know if my feet are getting the right, that, that's the sound of my of me coming off the ball, if my feet sounded that way, then I knew I was going to make contact driving and striking from a low to high plane with my second foot in the ground, right? And then I knew I was going to be not only balanced, but in a powerful position with my foot lined up over my ankle, over my knee, over my hip, all in one direction that's going to take me off the ball and through the defender. And when I watch Brock Purdy, his feet in my mind have a symphony, have a sound. Da, 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 da. You know, and every drop back is tied to the route and the route combination. And when your feet are perfect, in the West Coast offense, oftentimes you'll hear people talk about, you'll hear coaches talk about, you throw the ball with your feet. And so if your feet are timed up perfectly, guess what? As soon as you're ready to go, as soon as you butt up and you're ready, that ball's coming out if that dude is open. And then if he's not, you hitch up, and now it's the next route in the progression. And when you watch dudes that have great foot energy and there's no wasted motions, it's funny. And we'll we'll do um we'll do another podcast um coming up in a little bit, but we'll do another podcast today um called The Leftovers about Atlanta and Houston, the game I called, and just talking about footwork and the quarterbacking uh, position and some fascinating stuff. But when you talk about Brock Purdy, you're talking about perfect footwork leads to anticipatory on-time throws that are accurate. And I would argue that if you're not on time, you cannot be accurate. Impossible to be accurate with the football when you're not on time because what ends up happening is you know you're not on time. So, what do you do? You overthrow. And when you overthrow, it's much like a pitcher. And I know a lot about pitching because my son pitched in the majors and I was at every pitching lesson and I watched, you know, all these, you know, Hall of Fame caliber guys work with my son. And when you're a pitcher and your body, you, you coach Little League Baseball, you coach your son. Mm-hmm. When your body gets ahead of your arm, what ends up happening? Your arm has to catch up. Mm-hmm. So what happens when in any pitcher knows 
you open up your shoulder, your arm gets long, right? And you pull your head because you're trying to get through because you're trying to have your arm catch up mm -hmm. to where your body is. When you're late with the football, the first thing you do as a quarterback is you go home, open up. You don't stay closed mm -hmm. on your front side. You open up, your head falls out, your arm gets long, and then you're well, you inaccurate. Know, you know, a great example of that was Tom Brady right to the end. There was always that sense, wow, he still has his fastball. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because he was always on time mm -hmm. and his mechanics were so pure right. that, you know, the, the ball came out with, with yeah. plenty of zip because, and then you'd look at other guys who supposedly have this, this cannon for an arm, but they'd be late, they'd overthrow mm -hmm. and they still, it would be like, wow, I thought he had a stronger yeah. arm than that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't stay behind the, right. the ball. Your energy's not going through the ball. It's coming out of, of the, you know, coming out the side, you're dropping your arm, all that kind of stuff. So just... That's that's where Brock Purdy is way ahead of the game. His feet are so good, and he has been so dialed into that and so coached into that from day one that that's that's really to me where you know you can get. He's got plenty of arm strength, but he doesn't have like big time arm talent mm -hmm. compared to a lot of guys. But he's got plenty of arm strength because why? Because the ball is always on time. He's anticipatory with his throws. We've gushed about San Francisco. Where does this loss leave Dallas? Well, I mean, they're right where Dallas always is, right? They'll go back, and they'll go back to the drawing board, and they'll beat up on the teams that aren't very good. You know, they'll lose to Philly. They'll, but they'll, you know, they'll get in the playoffs. They probably won't win the division, and then they'll get their ass kicked in the playoffs like they always do. That's who Dallas is. And you'll be there to say I told you so. I'll be right on my couch. Watching the NFC Championship with the Cowboys. Maybe they'll invite me over. Probably not. No. Speaking of uh, Philadelphia, kind of a workmanlike win for yeah. them on the yeah. road against the Rams, a game in which they, they dominated statistically. Yards, first downs, uh, 13 of 18 on, on uh, third down conversions wow. was Philadelphia. But maybe a not as close as the game felt, 23 to 14 yeah. final. Well, I think one thing about Philly that you always get into, not even looking at the stats right now, but just watching some of the game and some of the highlights, man, they are just so good at dictating and, and essentially, not only dictating, Mike, but essentially probably a little bit more reactionary to how you're playing them. Because they can, in the run game, they can beat you up physically. They can beat you up athletically. The same thing with their play-action game, with the RPO game, uh, the run-action, play-action, the play-pass stuff. So they have got all these things at their disposal because, obviously, their quarterback is an exceptional athlete, really good thrower of the football. They've got great talent on the outside. They've got great talent at the tight end position. So it's one of those things, if you want to play us, like you want to play us for the – you know, the hard, tough inside run game. We'll get you outside with our quarterback runs. We'll get you outside with our pitch and pull stuff, our crack series. We'll get you outside on that stuff. Oh, you know, we can pull our center and get him on the edge. Oh, you know what? You want to defend that stuff, but then we can cram it down your throat. Oh, you know what? You want to take away our run action, play action. We'll hit you with play pass or we'll hit you with drop back. So they're just so, they're just so good. And you got to tip your cap, honestly. You know, not only what Nick Sirianni has done, you know, bringing in the the culture of uh, rock, scissors, papers, because it's obviously it's worked, right? I mean, I went right to him the first time I met with him and go, "Let's go, mono a mono." 
And he's like, oh, you want to go with me? And I was like, yeah, let's go. Bam. Beat me three times. I mean, beat me twice in a row. Two out of three, took both of them. That was no challenge for him. You are not a rock, paper, scissors juggernaut. A- apparently not. No. He read me like a book. He was like one of the mentalists. He knew exactly I was going to throw paper. Bam. He had scissors. You're like the Cowboys. You need to go back to the rock, paper, scissors drawing. Board. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. I really need to work on my rock, scissors, paper <laughs> game. But I, I think you got to tip your cap to Howie Roseman, the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles, who has who has recognized the mistakes he made. Right, We out and got Jalen Rieger. First round, passed up on Jefferson to get you know Rieger before him. Realized, wow, what a colossal mistake that was. Let me trade for A.J. Brown. Let me go out and get uh, Devontae Smith. Let me go out and, and make these moves. Let me bolster my offensive line and continue, even though we're great defensive line and offensive line-wise, let me continue to draft those positions. And he continues to do it because Howie knows, very much like the San Francisco 49ers know, that if you control the line of scrimmage, you're going to win a lot of games. And you can make a lot of maybe – and I'm not saying this about Philly because they've got great talent, but you can make guys that maybe aren't as talented great, you know, great in your scheme because you can always dominate the line of scrimmage. Philly is Philly's legit. San Francisco's legit. They're fun. Well, that, that was where I was going to go with this next because it seems like right now Philly and San Francisco are head and shoulders above everybody in the NFC. Mm-hmm. Or are they? Detroit. Right. Where are they at after another impressive performance? Detroit is Detroit. Like if you look at all these teams, they're all built essentially the same way, right? I mean, when you talk to Dan Campbell, and you know I've talked to Dan Campbell multiple times and multiple times this year, you talk to Dan, Dan Campbell, he'll flat tell you my number one group and where our team is really structured is our offensive line. And if you ask him who the best player on your football team is, he will tell you Penny Sewell is the best player on my football team. And so, like, they are structured that way to dominate you up front. Then also, on the defensive line, on their defensive line rotation, they are scheduled there as well to really beat you up. So that's kind of how they structure. They have that tough, hard-nosed approach to the way they want to play football. But... I think one of the things that we have to start talking about, Mike, and, you know, I'm reluctant. I think a lot of people have been reluctant. Jared Goff is a top five quarterback in the National Football League. I mean, you know, we don't ever, when you talk about top quarterbacks, you talk about, you know, you talk about Rodgers before he got hurt. You're talking about Joe Burrow. You're talking about Justin Herbert. You're talking about, um, you know, on and on it goes. Jalen Hurts, uh, who else is in that top tier quarterbacking realm? Um, Obviously, Mahomes. Gosh, I, I leave Mahomes out. But I'm telling you, if maybe he's not in the top five, but he's in that category between five and ten. I mean, the guy, when you start looking at his numbers and what he's been able to accomplish, he has been absolutely money since he's been in Detroit. And I'm telling you, um, uh, Ben Johnson, their offensive coordinator, I think that's his name, Ben Johnson, is that guy is going to be a head coach in this league. And what he's done with Jared Goff and the way they have operated together, the, the Lions are legit. And they're just they're beating up on people both physically and talent wise. And I'm telling you, they went out and got themselves some players. Almond Ross St. Brown is a 
just a football player. Catch the ball inside, tough, hard nose, runs all that kind of Debo Samuel stuff as well. Uh, they're really good there. Josh Reynolds is a guy that that came, you know, he was with L.A., went to Tennessee. They traded for him. They brought him in or they, they went out and got him off the practice squad, I think, of Tennessee. They got him. He is a guy that has a great connection right now with Jared Goff. They're tied uh, together. Sam Laporta. They got out. I don't know what it is about Iowa tight ends. Mm-hmm. Iowa tight ends. Like there are certain positions when you think of universities. When you think of like great university linebacker, and, you and right, yeah, yeah, tight end, you. Tight end, you, Iowa, you think about them. Uh, you lose linebacker. Is that Penn State linebacker, yeah. you? Yeah. Um, Idaho, guard you. They always say that guard you from the University of Idaho. I mean, Jerry Kramer, me, you potty. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It's distinguished. Yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, more great guards out of Idaho. It's crazy. Uh, anyhow, yeah, so uh, yeah, those all those teams, though, that we talk about, Philly, San Francisco, Detroit, mm-hmm. they're all kind of built in a similar fashion. We'll beat you up physically, and then we'll make plays through scheme and through our players on the outside to uh, hang points on you. 42, they hung on Carolina last weekend. Last week, we were previewing this game and said that the Jets and Broncos could be one of the more entertaining one and three matchups no. you'd ever see because of the storylines. Well, it did not disappoint, delivered as promised, as uh, Nathaniel Hackett, excuse me, Nate, Nate mm-hmm. Hackett, uh, gets his revenge. And it really, with the benefit of hindsight, it looked like this was a real rallying cry. For the Jets, with the comments of the players before and after the game, Robert Sala as well, that this was something that they were really rallying around Hackett. There's no, listen, there is no question that one team responded to the besmirching of their coach. One team responded to what was perceived the slight of their coach when Sean Payton came out this summer and basically said it was the worst coaching job he has ever seen, that it really wasn't his players' fault, it really wasn't Russell Wilson's fault. There were a lot of dirty fingerprints on the on the dreck that was worse, you know, procedural like pre-snap penalties, procedural issues, yada, yada, yada. And he just went all in on Nathaniel Hackett and the job Nathaniel Hackett did here with the Denver Broncos. Well, fast forward to this weekend, Nathaniel Hackett comes back in and the Jets, with a quarterback who has still got questions about him and Zach Wilson, puts it on the Denver Broncos. And, and let me just say this, karma's an absolute bitch. And I think... The issue that you have to ask yourself, and we talked about this earlier on our radio show, was it? What does it say about how the Jets feel about their coaching staff versus how the Broncos feel about theirs? Because Sean put it out there. Yep, he went out on the limb, and it basically, basically took his players off the hot seat and said, hey, last year what happened to you guys wasn't your fault. These clowns that were coaching you. Right, they clowned you last year because these guys were garbage, and now we're going to get that fixed. And the fact that your players went out and rolled over to the Jets and didn't have your back—what does it say about Sean Payton? What does it say about the organization? What does it say about the players you have on your roster for the Broncos that they don't have the same type of response that the New York Jets did for their coach? 
So is this a turning point game for the Jets, even without Aaron Rodgers? I know he's talking about still trying to come back, but can the Jets, based on what you saw, be a playoff team with Zach Wilson at quarterback? I think there's still a lot of questions about Zach. But the last two weeks, he's certainly gotten better. And he Mm -hmm. gave his team an opportunity to win both weeks. They lost to Kansas City, had that fumble at the very end of the game. But he played plenty, plenty well enough to win. Their defense is that their defense is real. Like their defense can play, and their running game is real. There's no question about that. So, if if Zach Wilson can manage the game and not screw things up, can they, you know, make a playoff run? Um, I don't. I don't like. I would bet against it, Mike. But they have what are they two and three right now? They legit have a big-time defense, and they legit have a big-time running game. I don't think Zach can get him over the top, but if he continues to improve and play this way, you know, who knows? At least they're in it. At least they're not sitting at, you know, 1-4, and 1-5. and five. So, you know, they've got, a, they've got a chance right now. But I, I don't know. I'm asking you, what, what does it say about the Broncos players that they don't have the same, you know, drive? Like their coach said it. And, you know, he was taking the the onus off of them as players. They don't respond. Well, we've witnessed it around here in Denver for the last seven, eight years. This has been a, a, a bad, bad football team. And it seems like coaches come and go, GMs come and go, coordinators come and go. And there's always been that sense that, well, if they were just coached better, that this roster was good enough. At this point, if you're – Broncos country out there. Is it time to start holding the players accountable? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at I look at this team right now. The fact that you don't respond, the fact that, you know, you've got a bunch of guys that play wide receiver that you've drafted high that have yet to put a squirt of piss in the bucket. Like, I mean, Jerry Judy, you you can have like you know, I'm not trying to besmirch Jerry Judy. I don't even know Jerry Judy. You're a first round guy who was who was touted as the most talented receiver in the most talented receiver draft class in the history of the National Football League, and you haven't been worth a score to piss. You really haven't. You've been a bust. Can't stay healthy, don't make plays, disappear, drop the ball. And Cortland said, I, like, at this point, Mike, if you're the Broncos, like, hey, man, it, it was Vance Joseph's fault. No, wait, it was Vic Fangio's fault. Wait, no, it was Vic Fangio's coordinator, Wrinkles. It was his fault. No, 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 no. It was Pat Shermer's fault. No, it was the whole nine yards fault. It was, oh, no, it's, it's we'll get Nate. Ha- no, it's Nathaniel Hackett's fault. No, it's all his assistant coach's fault, right? Now it's Sean Payton's fault. At some point, some point, don't you have to hold the players accountable? And don't you have to start moving off the players you have on your roster? When alls you've known... You look at the majority of this roster, none of the guys who have been here that are homegrown have ever won. Right. They've all lost. And you just become used to losing. It's what you do. Like, every time I watch the Broncos, even if they're playing well for a quarter or two, and you're like, they, you got a lead, right, and things are going well, I'm always sitting there on my couch going, oh, yeah, they'll gack this up. Right? It's only a matter of time before they roll over on this one. And that's exactly what they did and exactly what they do every single weekend. So they've got issues in Denver. They've got issues in New England. Oh, my goodness. Bill Belichick coming off the worst losses of his head coaching career 
the Patriots with back-to-back losses by 30-plus points for the first time since 1970. Oh. Belichick says the plan is to start over moving forward. Mark, are we looking... I I can't even believe I'm going to say this. Are we looking at the final days of Bill Belichick in New England? Yeah, I mean, if you're starting over, does that mean you're going to fire Bill Belichick? Is he... uh... Is, is that a uh, what, what do you call that portend? Are, are you uh, you you you're a portend the future? Yeah, portend the future. Is that yeah, sure? You're is close that, enough. Is that close enough? Yeah, like, you're like, in the ballpark. What is it when you've got like X-ray vision? Not X-ray vision. That's, yeah, that would be illegal. Uh, if you had like uh, you, you freaking could, Superman. You, yeah, you could see into the future. That's uh, you got ESP, right? Is it ESP? Sure. Extra sensory perception. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, look at you. I just know that. Not just another pretty face, yeah. am I? So, I mean, if you could see, maybe he sees in the future, maybe he realizes that his owner, Robert Kraft, is like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to move on. I mean, you think about it. It's Mac Jones. One minute you're touting how good a young player he is as a rookie. Next minute you're saddling with him a defensive coordinator or a, a special teams coach. Then you get a new offensive coordinator. He's no good. You bench him. He comes back. I mean, you you thirty eight to three and thirty four nothing in the last two games. Do the math. Yeah, I mean, if if you're gonna start the whole thing over, do you start with the new head coach? Hey man, here's here's one for you. Bill Belichick's old school style, his hard nose approach, his quizzing players and getting after people and being grumpy and gruff. Does it work without a Brady? Without the guys there that basically could groom the young mm-hmm. players into understanding this is how it is. This is how we get coached. This is how we become great. And what we do is we win because of him in many ways, but also we win to spite him in many ways. Yep. And now all of a sudden you don't have those guys because you talk to anybody that was there during that run of nine Super Bowls and six world championships, you talk to anybody who was there, like the number one whipping boy on that, on the organization, or from the organization, the number one whipping boy from a player's perspective was Tom Brady. Like that dude, that dude got coached harder than anybody else on the team, essentially saying, if I can coach you hard, then there's nobody, there's nobody that can question my coaching style. Who are those guys? And you probably don't have them anymore. You know, the McCordys are gone, yep. the Brewskis are gone, the Vrabels are gone, the Bradys are gone. On and on and on it goes. Yep. And eventually you get a bunch of young kids who have been, you know, participation trophy and coddled and their little heinies pampered. And uh, they're not used to that ass chewing they get every week. Ready for a little lightning round? Yeah, absolutely. You back on the Justin Fields bandwagon after last Thursday? Gosh, you look good, didn't he? Chicago look good. I don't know, though. It was Justin, did they, he looked that good. The Washington Commanders absolutely were 100% no-shows. Yep. They couldn't tackle. They didn't cover anybody. Busted coverages. It was unbelievable how bad their eyes were. They were in the backfield. They were stopping their feet. They were getting beat over the top. That that was, I mean, that set football back by 30 years. Even, even Magic Johnson came out. Mm-hmm. Minority owner in in their organization and basically lambasted the way they played. Baltimore overrated. Yeah. Now they have a lot of injuries. They've they've been beat up. But what I tell you from day one, got to be careful 
with a quarterback that um, you know you're trying to move in. And I haven't I haven't dug into their film, but yeah, Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh got crushed by Houston yep. the week before, and you come in there and you limit that offense. And you know, I I'm telling you, man, it's no touchdowns by Lamar. Had an interception or uh, one interception, I think. I know he had one in the end zone. I'm not sure if he had more than one, but. Um, yeah, not a lot of production. I know they have some injuries, but not a lot of production. So it's not good, man. It is not good. Well, anyhow. Like your picks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, no, it's not. 